This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Drew Dockin and Grant um, back for the Weekly Bull and Bear. Today, it's March 22nd on Tuesday. Uh, today, we have Matt Perone, who's the director of research at Janison, as a special guest. Uh, so we're definitely excited to have him. we got a series of questions uh, about the recent market sell-off and, and a lot of what's going on in the world today with commodity prices. Uh, so with that, I'll kick us off. I mean, you know, last couple of weeks, we've had some serious sell-offs, but um, last week was definitely a robust week. Right now, the market's down a little over 5% as we speak. I guess in the next three quarters, um, what sectors are you bullish on? You know, what are you bearish on? What's your just overall 3,000 feet, you know, above the ground thoughts on the the market right now? Sure. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. So maybe just to back up a little bit, you know, at the end of last year, we were sounding a note of caution saying that the next six months would be generally um, rougher waters, uh, more volatile. Um, and that's because of the, you know, inflation becoming more and more of a focus, um, something we felt that the Fed was a little bit behind the curve on and they would need to catch up. Uh, we also felt that um, markets in general do need to consolidate as they switch from early cycle and progress on to mid-cycle type of dynamics. And that's usually a bit messy, especially coming into a, a rate hike cycle or part of the cycle. So we were worried about that. Of course, we didn't forecast uh the geopolitical turmoil that we've had, and that's just added a layer on top of that. So the bottom line is I don't think we're done with that. I know we did have a rally last week, as you noted. Um, It's probably more of a counter trend rally in the short term. And what I mean by that is uh, the the, market's generally going to be uh, volatile in the sense that you'll have sell-offs and then some rallies back and then sell it back down, et cetera. So I don't think we're out of the woods yet. And I'm not necessarily bearish, nor we bearish, really. In general, it's more of just a note of of caution that we're not done with the volatility. Usually, you have to wait until the Fed, you know, really their, the path of rate hikes is more clear and we have more visibility that they won't make any policy errors, et cetera. So it's a long backdrop. Sorry for that. But I wanted to just set the stage for for what this to your question, what are the sectors that are going to outperform? Typically, when you hand off from early cycle to mid-cycle, you will um, uh, the deep value and deep cyclicals will yield to more quality growth, uh, more of the sort of more resilient names. That's typical. Every cycle is a little bit different, and I think this cycle is going to be a little bit different. So we have a mix in our overweights. We like healthcare quite a bit, and that's consistent with that theme of quality and growth. So we think healthcare, especially given the valuations and the sell-off that it's had. Um, seems very interesting to us. So that's certainly an overweight. But we're staying with the cyclical call a little bit. Financials, because uh, rates are still rising, so financials should continue to do well, especially because inflation is is worse than we um, had hoped. Um, It isn't peaking yet. Financials might be still a good place to be for the next couple of quarters. And commodities, that's something we've been talking about for over a year now. We're going to stay with that, but I think the easy money there has been made. So you can stay with commodities, but I don't know that you'll have quite the upside, but it's a good inflation hedge. Um, 
So those are in general where where we want to be. But state, now you want to move up in quality, certainly. So real estate starts to also look interesting in that context. Parts of tech, uh, the less cyclical parts, they'll, they, they should be interesting. And if, and if you think about the overall economy, we've done quite well from an employment perspective. We saw non-farm productivity rise to 6.6% in the fourth quarter of 2021. GDP also grew to <clears throat> close out 2021. We still see growth projections above our historical average. Unemployment has dropped to almost pre-pandemic lows, but at the same time, we have inflation at a 40-year high. As you mentioned, we have the geopolitical unrest in Ukraine, uh, and which is also impacting another layer of some supply constraints. How much of the market sell-off that we've been experiencing over the last couple of weeks and the start of 2022 is more focused on macro macro fundamentals? Or is it really just a series of a string of bad news cycles that we continue to have after the pandemic? Yeah, I think it's the majority of it is is inflation and the macro picture around inflation and the market being a bit vulnerable given that it had uh, extended multiples, extended valuation. So I think all the, the conditions were in place for a correction. Um, as I mentioned, um, you know, we, we were concerned about that year end because those ingredients were in place. So I think, as you point out, um, growth is still good, but the market is worried that, you know, the Fed will have to be play catch up and be potentially too aggressive. Uh, the market multiple needs to come down. If you look at historical relationship between inflation and multiples, the multiple is too high for where inflation was. So. Uh, we will say, you know, inflation is is really a the most impactful, um, you know, macroeconomic variable. So I think those um, ingredients were in place. And then on top of that, you had some fundamental challenges. Uh, earnings, I think, have come down in general because of supply constraints and scarcity and commodity challenges, some related to the turmoil, some related just in general. That has made that has squeezed margins in some industries. So that has been a problem. And then you've seen some investment cycles in other sectors. So all that conflated to, you know, put in what we hope is a correction. I should note that our second half outlook is much more constructive than our first half outlook. So hopefully we get through this in the next three or four months and we're into the Fed rate hike cycle and things will stabilize. That's our base case. But of course, it's it's a it's a tight path the Fed has to, to to weave here. In terms of developing countries, we, we've seen definitely some improvement on vaccine rollouts. Uh, and we've, we've also seen, you know, over 20 emerging and frontier markets raise their rates last year. Uh, but things like the conflict on Ukraine is going to have a massive effect on the price of wheat. Uh, it's, you know, a big global breadbasket. And I mean, I guess that, you know, you know, major company, countries like India and China are very dependent on this. Overall, what's Janice's outlook on emerging market equities this year? Yeah, we're cautious on emerging equities in, you know, in the short run. By short run, I mean probably the, this year, um, but more constructive in the longer term. But it's, they have some tough sledding when, in, in general when rates rise. That's a tough backdrop for emerging markets. Um, and then, as you noted, they had some acute um, uh, impact from the geopolitical uh, turmoil, the price of wheat, et cetera, agricultural, they're, they're um, much more sensitive than developed markets to the, to rises in, in 
prices of of commodities in particular and food their their consumer basket if you will is much heavier loaded there they have also much more dependency on energy etc um, in terms of the marginal dollar so there's um, a, a pretty pretty uh, decent set of headwinds that they're confronting and it's keeping us cautious for now again I'd stay up in quality uh, for this year at least and and hopefully they'll get through that uh, next year but we have to wait and see and you mentioned commodities. I think an uh, energy. I think a big one on everyone's mind is oil prices. We saw gas at the pumps rise drastically over the last couple of weeks. Uh, huge spikes. I think that the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, the price per barrel went above 130 for the first time in, in quite a while. I think it was 2008. We did see that OPEC may increase production. In recent years, when we look back, uh, when oil gains 100% in one year period, a recession has occurred. Do you think that we may be headed for this, given the rise in price of oil, especially with the sanctions around Russia oil, uh, especially in Europe? Yeah, I mean, oil, it's a big risk, um, certainly for developed non-U.S. countries, in particular Europe, um, which is going to really see the impact uh, of the energy price uh, rises. And that could put them into recession. Uh, so I'd, I'd be concerned there. Um, the and emerging markets, as I mentioned, the U.S. is relatively insulated from that. Our energy intensity since the 1970s is down quite a bit. So we use less energy. So it has less impact. It still has a big impact, but less impact than it has had historically. So I think the, the U.S. is best weathered, uh, set to weather that. Um, but I think that your point is a good one, which is that, you know, oil is certainly a can knock economies into recession. So um, we're, we're, we're getting to that point, especially outside the U.S., where that becomes uh, a serious risk. I would also add that the oil supply picture, something our energy analysts talk about quite a bit, is is not set to improve. There's not much that can be done, and uh, you alluded to that. I think that's a really important point. Um, this, the the way to rebalance the oil markets and the energy markets is not necessarily through supply uh, a supply response. It'll be a demand response, notably demand destruction, and that either comes through conservation. Um, switch to alternatives, which are going to take a, a long time to have an impact, or um, through a slowdown in the economy. And that's the one that's that we're worried about, again, especially overseas. I mean, and apart from oil, we've also seen, you know, tremendous spikes elsewhere, like in palladium and lithium. And that's going to really increase the cost of things like catalytic converters and batteries. I mean, how do industries like automotives respond and, and what does this mean for investors of precious metals? Yeah, so um, well, taking the first part of your question, automotive response has been tough. Um, it's been tough on suppliers, um, not just the commodities, as you mentioned, which are very important and that's pressuring margins, but also just getting their hands on the raw goods. Um, and I'll include semiconductors in that. And that's really been gating them in terms of production. Um, and it's been a challenge and it doesn't seem to be getting too much better. Now you add on the commodities, which is the second part of your question, um, and the picture gets even worse in the short term. So um, they are navigating so far so good. I mean, we, you know, in real time, we talk to them frequently 
and you know they're not calling for red alert yet but they're but but it's it's certainly a problem so it's a it's a margin problem it's a it's a potentially supply constraint or uh, and production con- constraint problem um but they don't think that it's going to c- cause the whole system to freeze up um but certainly that's that's a risk so we're watching that closely and batteries have, of course become all important now as as most auto OEMs are shifting supply to their EV platforms. Uh, so um, there, there's the more and more demand for the commodities that, that come in to those batteries, um, nickel, um, lithium, et cetera. So that's something to watch. Um, and again, like in oil, we don't see a supply response in the near term. So there, we just need to bring more capacity online um, and that'll take some time. And you did mention cars. So one thing that people do look for, especially in an inflationary environment, is the rise in used car prices. We've seen that throughout the pandemic. Inflation, I think, is talked about at every single dinner table across the United States. And we saw wage growth start to slow considerably in February, but inflation still is is running hot. And we saw that with the Fed comments. What are your expectations for inflation to look like over the next three quarters? At the end of the year, do we think it's going to settle down? And then second part of the question that I have for you is, how many uh, rate hikes do we anticipate as a result of the inflation based on the Fed's comments last week look like they are pricing in six at the moment? Yeah, right. Well, so you and your dinner guests, I think, are, are right to uh, focus <laughs> on inflation because that's uh, that's I think last year we called it our number one, two and three risk to the, <laughs> to the markets. So the triple um, threat. exactly. So you kind of have to get far down the line before uh, you, you get to other ones. So that's really where the focus is. And I think you're right to, to call that out. Um, and so our outlook, you know, we've always been more worried than the Fed that that it wasn't going to be as transitory as the Fed had expected. I think the Fed finally figured that out. So that's good news um, because now they're on the scene and they've even made comments as recently as yesterday saying we're going to get after this. Um, now, um, so now the risk will, will, will focus to are they going to, you know, do too much? We'll see. But that at this point is not our worry. You do see some um, signs of hope that inflation could peak in the next three months. So I think our base case is that we peak towards the middle of the year um, and then start start a, you know, slow decline back towards, you know, some sort of normalized, probably not back to the 2% that we were seeing or even sub 2%, but probably, um, you know, closer to three for a while and then it'll tick, tick down and that's a longer question. But um, so that's our base case, uh, but the risk is still to the upside as as these, you know, geopolitical and supply constraints issues. Now you have COVID in China, which is adding another wrench into the whole works. So. That's something to worry about, uh, to, to, to watch as well, even though as we've seen Vietnam open up, et cetera, and, and now supply out of there has been, and production there has been pretty good. Coming to your rate hike question, that is, um, I think, the right one, which is what is the terminal rate? How how many hikes and, and how many, um, and where do we land? And I would, we focus more on what the terminal uh, rate is going to be rather than are they going to do it in six hikes with 25 or five hikes with 50 or seven? Um, and I think the market keeps pushing out the number of hikes or, or the magnitude of each hike. That's just more, I think, 
the big picture is, do we stop at 3%? Do we have to go past that? And I think as you get past 3%, that's going to be more challenging for the market. So hopefully, I think the market has this priced. It's around a little over 3 I think the market can manage that uh, without, you know, too much um, turmoil. Um, and if we, if the market gains confidence that that's really where we're going to land, uh, and it's not going to knock us into recession either. So again, a narrow path. Um, but then, then the markets can do well. We think there's a, a decent chance that 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 scenario plays out. So we're generally constructive when you get out into the latter half of the year or 2023, as the market comes to that view. But there's risk, and the risk is higher than we usually um, have. And I'll just close my comments here on the fact that, you know, high yield spreads and the shape of the yield curve are not yet suggesting recession is imminent. So they're not yet seeing that the Fed's going to go too far. But of course, it's early in the hiking cycle. So we have to monitor that. We did see that the five and the 10 year was starting to close a little bit on that on that Treasury curve. But I just wanted to go back to something that you said about the supply chain issues. And it seemed like there was have been pent up demand over the last 18 months. If we see the geopolitical unrest start to resolve itself in Ukraine, also China comes out of lockdown and we see supply chain shortages really begin to let up. Do you think that we may see inflation drop faster than the Fed anticipates and therefore we may not see as many rate hikes? That's certainly possible. Um, that would be a good positive outcome. And it is it is possible the, the, the decay rate of the different components of the CPI basket, we actually, you know, peeled that apart. We worked with an academic institution to, you know, do some some work on that. And the decay rates have traditionally been enough to bring us down um, back towards normal. So that is a very real possibility. I'm glad you brought that up. And it's hopeful. I didn't want to be, you know, too hopeful and keep everyone's hopes up. But I think that that actually <laughs> can come to, to pass if if these things blow over. So let's 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 shoot for that one for sure. Yeah, got to be a little optimistic here at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and again, I want to remind everybody we're we're still constructive as as once we get past a lot of this, which we think we will. But uh, in the near term, I just wanted to, you know, highlight the risks that we're thinking about. Um, but longer term, I think uh, you know we're constructive on equities and think the cycle has a few more years to run. I'd kind of like to close out the conversation on, you know, I guess a broader demographic question. Uh, there's been a lot of analysis that younger investors, uh, millennials and Gen Zs uh, may continue to be more conservative due to lived experiences in their formative years, um, you know, 2008, COVID-19. And I think we saw some of this from the Great Depression generation, right? I mean, they they were very wary to get their feet in the market during the 50s despite the tremendous amount of growth. I mean, if this is the case, do, do, one, do we think this premise is mostly conjecture or is there some truth to younger investors becoming more conservative? And if they are conservative, does this mean lower fund performance uh, in the coming decades than we've seen in recent history? Well, um, so let me peel that apart a bit. I think they understand, I understand why they would be conservative. I don't, I've seen some of the studies that suggest they are, as you note, um, and then I've seen some, we saw, we did see some quite, what I would call risk seeking behavior during the pandemic. 
Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting where they come out uh, on this. And we're watching fund flows in particular. Uh, fund flows, n- notably, however, can be a contrary indicator. So, you know, sometimes the markets make the best rallies when people are underinvested. So that is um, something to, you know, we saw that after 2008, for example. But certainly if you back up at the big picture, I think what should be on and probably is on on younger investors' minds and probably everybody's mind is, what do the next 10 years look like? And will we get the same level of returns that we've been accustomed to? And I think there there's reason for caution uh, because valuations starting point is much higher. Um, inflation backdrop is going to probably be less benign. Um, and there are a number of reasons for that. Um, we could be into a more sustained commodity inflation cycle as we wait for supply chain. We also, the demographics are a little bit more mixed than they were. They were really going one way, which is to say lower uh, population growth and the way the age codes, cohorts work out, something called the overlapping generations model, has been supportive, uh, sorry, has been a pressure on inflation. And that picture may change just as the the cohorts move through the the life cycle, so to speak. So I don't know that you'll have quite the deflationary impact that we had. So those two together conspire, if you will, to probably pressure longer term uh, forward looking prospective returns to be lower. We don't think they'll be negative by any means, but you won't enjoy the 10, 11 percent that you're getting per year. It'll probably be more, you know, uh, six, seven percent or below long term averages. Uh, as the value, as we grow into some of the valuations. And I'll just add on top of that, which is really the point of your question, I think, is the volatility that they've seen is probably here to stay because there will likely be, you know, more and more of these events and episodes because, and the only reason to say that, not because I'm a pessimist, but just because that actually has been the history, um, you know, going back decades, um, you know, it's uh, the history of, of the world, so to speak, is filled with conflict, et cetera. So we've had an unusually quiet time. And if that reverts to normal, then we could have more volatility, which, of course, pressures the equity risk premium higher, or a.k.a. multiples lower. So I think there's reason to be concerned, but we counsel our younger investors. That's why it's important to have a good, diversified, uh, long-term plan. For the long term, it's very important for them to get real wealth growth. Great. Um, so, yeah, those are the questions we had for you today. Matt, thanks so much for hopping on and, and speaking with us on some of these topics. Um, to our listeners and viewers, we'll be back on next week. Thanks for the likes and subscribes, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.